Welcome to Keeping Up With Data. Keeping Up With Data is the podcast that keeps data enthusiasts up to speed with what is happening in the data world. We bring in the leading minds from the data industry to talk all things career, news, embarrassing stories, failures and successes. So something really important for us here at Precision Sourcing is mental health. It's something we've been focused on a lot over the last year or so. And we're lucky enough to have partnered with the Black Dog Institute. And we're going to be doing a lot of events with them this year. A lot of our events, money will be going towards them. And they're out there aiming to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. So if you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link in the bio on this podcast. And you'll be seeing a lot more information about Black Dog over the next year. Here we are once again on Keeping Up With Data with myself, Joel Robinstein. Today I'm joined by my colleague, James Ross. And we're very happy to be joined by our friend, Balaji Balraman. But you go by Bala, as we know. Um, and as we always do on Keeping Up With Data Ballot, we're not going to introduce yourself for you. Please tell everyone a little bit about yourself. So my name is Bala. Um, I have been in the data business for the last uh, 15 years. Um, have been in three geographies. Started my career in US, then had a stint up in India. And this is my third geography, Australia. Um, and uh, currently I'm working for National Australian Bank. I am the GM of the data platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything to do with data platforms, like uh, that's that's part of my core work, right? So I I enable uh, the house in which the entire information is actually bought in, so that people can do analytics on top of it. So that's the best way that I can describe what I do. Fantastic. Well, what I'm excited about to talk to you about today is you're one of the first people who manages really big scale teams. That we've had on the podcast so i think we'll dig into that a little bit today how you do that as a manager how you manage that day to day we're going to do emily on the streets as we always do she's out there asking questions data joke we'll do our best with that i don't think anyone's nailed that yet we'll see how we go um but firstly as we always do just tell us a little bit about how you started out in data it's always a good place to start so this was i think uh, back in um 2005 um, so I have a um, uh, master's in operations research. So it's an arm of mathematics. Mm-hmm. And 2005, I was looking out for internships. So my first internship was offered by Continental Airlines in US. Uh, now it's United. Yeah. Uh, they merged with United. Um, and uh, they offered me my first gig as a data analyst. So that's how I started. I had no clue about the fact that I think uh, what the industry has to offer and what data it actually means. The day one on my job, I was uh, thrown a data catalog mm. and I was actually asked the fact that I think, hey, can you construct a query out of it? Before that, I was actually just playing around with small data sets mm. right in my uni. So this was my first, first experience with the data. Wow. <laughs> and what made you think this is going to be the career for me? Was it before you started that, or was it that day one when you looked at it and went, yes, this is it. I'm in the place I need to be. I reflected upon that question um, uh, some time ago, right? Mm. When I was reflecting upon it. It was not at that point. I think, uh, I think I've come to a very precise date. I think it was April 24th, uh, 2012. Wow. It has a significance for me. The reason is the fact that I think that's the day when I decided that, hey, I need to pack my bags and I need to move from US to India. Mm-hmm. And that was a gig in which I started uh, a uh, big data labs for a major financial, uh, US financial services company. So 
I was the employee number one out over there. Uh, the reason why I chose that day was that decision is what actually created that period from 2012 to 2018 mm. when I had the experience of creating everything around data. So it's not only about building the platform, it's about building some really cool applications. It's starting the team from zero to, uh, now it's about 350. Mm. I think now they have grown much larger. Um, so everything around data, data ecosystem, uh, in fact, even choosing the building, what's going to go into the wall art. <laughs> so if I have to reflect back, I think that moment was very sweet or something that, hey, this is what I think data has actually given for me. Yeah, okay. So you backed yourself, you really dove in head first at that point. It, exactly, and why April 24th, I remember very clearly, is because uh, it's Sachin Tendulkar's birthday. He's okay. one of my favorite cricketer. Nice. Right, and it's his birthday. <laughs> right, That's the day when I accepted this job. Uh, to move to uh, India. Brilliant. Sachin was one of the best ever, eh? Oh, I love him. Was he the best ever? Um, not sure, right? Um, but he was one of the greatest. Yeah, yeah. Let's put it this way, the fact that I think when he is on the cricket field and when he is on the go, yeah. I love him. I love him. Yeah, he was right? great to watch. It's, it's uh, my personal favorite now is Dhoni. Now, who is also retired. Yeah, he's going to say he's retired. And uh, <laughs> uh, all Indians, by the way. Like, yeah. so I'm biased. Fair enough. That makes <laughs> uh, sense. But, um, um, but I love Sachin. Yeah, nice. Well, I mean, that's a good segue because you got involved in our, our data jam when we did that in Australia um, <laughs> last year, right? Which was um, which we really enjoyed doing. And do you know what? Maybe a little bit of promotion for us and the data jams. It'd be great to hear from, I guess, why did you do it? Why did your team want to get involved in it? And what did you get out of it? Maybe just to take a step back to explain what the Data Jam is. So we work with the likes of the NRL, Cricket Australia, hopefully got one with Golf Australia coming up this year, side note, which we'll tell you about. They give us their data sets. We get teams of data scientists, data analysts together, and then they hack through that data and produce results, right? So you got involved in the Cricket Australia one last year. You obviously love cricket, but was there any other reason why you got involved in it? And what did your team get out of it? First of all, it was purely passion for cricket. Okay, cool. <laughs> and for the very first time, interacting with data for cricket. Yeah. And that probably was the sole reason that where me and my team took some time out of our busy schedule. So we work nights and weekends. Mm -hmm. We had our day jobs as well. Yeah. Um, to really participate in that competition. And we really, really wanted to do well in the competition. <laughs> And uh, the the biggest candy for us was the fact that I think, hey, if he gets elected in the finals, at least he would get to present to some of the biggest names in cricket. Right. Uh, unfortunately for us, uh, Corona came. Yeah. And it was virtual. It was still fun. We took a lot of screenshots. Yeah, right. It wasn't <laughs> quite the same. Though, the was it? virtual uh, presentation to uh, Justin Langer. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mitchell Stark was also there, exactly. right? So it was really, really good um, the experience for us. Yeah, I think the big thing for us with the Cricket Data Jam was as soon as they approached us saying, hey, we want to do one like with the NRL, they were like, and, and Justin Lang is involved, Steve Smith's keen, you know, the team want this. And you could just see that there was that yep. drive from Cricket mm. Australia, which I think brought the energy to the event. Like you say, massive shame that we didn't get to meet them and actually shake their hands, right? But yep. um, <laughs> there you go. I'm going to come to you, James, on this because, you know, we talked to some of our clients. In fact, we had a conversation yesterday with one who are a sports analytics company and yep. they were saying, hey, it'd be great if we can find people who love sport, who get sport, 
to help them with the data. Like how important do you think it is, and I'll come to you as well, Bella, to be passionate about what you do. How much extra does that give you as a candidate, maybe even in the market when you're going for a job, if you can walk in there and be like, hey, I love sports, you know, and this yeah. is a sports analytics company. Is that important? Well, I or think it's very important because I think if you're passionate about something, like for example, you guys, it's outside your day job when you do the day jam, you're passionate about it, you put in the time, you put in the extra effort, you'll give it your all. And I think when you've got passion behind something, you're always willing to go the extra mile and it doesn't feel like you're going the extra mile. Um, if we ever did an event on cars, I know I'd be heart and soul <laughs> straight into that because that's my forte. But like, yeah, I think passion is a really big thing, especially in this industry. I think we're seeing nearly every other industry see how important data is mm. and starting to figure out how they can utilize it, figure out how they can use it to make whether it's a game or make the company or make something better. Mm. And I think finding people who then have those expertise and have the skills within the data world, but have the passion is like matching it really, really well. And I think it just kind of gets you the best result and gets you someone who will always put their best foot forward. That's a great shout. So let's flip this to you and let's change the question slightly. So some people may have a massive passion for banking. Some people may not. Some people might have a massive passion for data. Some people might not, but they're all working in data. Could you talk us through maybe some of the different personalities you see and some of those really passionate people that you've seen as well and how that helps them with their day-to-day -day job? And for you, I guess, do you need to be really passionate about banking or? So what I am passionate about is actually in financial services, this is where the crossroads of the most complicated problem comes in. Mm because you have got humans interacting with uh, data and systems, right? And every human has got a different perception. So these are different personas. Like, you know, you have got a regulator who has got a very different view compared to somebody uh, who is going to be sitting on this side, like a banker, mm. who at the end of the day also wants to uh, sell products, right? So these two are completely different positions that you are in. Um, so this creates a lots of interesting dynamics. Yeah. So that's what's uh, got me into this world. I've never moved away from financial services uh, because getting anything delivered um, into the market is becomes twice or thrice mm. more uh, complicated. And also you need to be responsible, right? So what you do with your data, what you do with your uh, with your products, you need to be really responsible because at the end of the day, it's about the community, mm. right? Which we all live in. And uh, we have all seen 2008, yeah. uh, at least some of us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who is going to actually watch this podcast. <laughs> uh, but 2008 was a really an eye-opening yeah. moment for myself. Um, I was in uh, New York at that point of time. And it was really, really um, a time to reflect mm. that uh, are we being responsible so uh, I, I, that made me really think that what, what really is driving me, probably from a passion perspective. Yeah. So that was probably my motivation, right? To stay around actually in this industry. Brilliant. Um, and so what's your expectation of your team? I mean, I think you mentioned mm -hmm. you're managing about 300 people or something, is it? So right now, yes, about uh, 300 people. Cool. So do you have that same expectation of your team? Or do you have those kind of, few that are really passionate that help drive the whole kind of 300 people and then everyone else kind of is there to collect their paycheck or like what kind of dynamic do you see in that sense because you're obviously someone yeah. who's got the passion and you've driven yourself right so i see um you know different motivations 
um, uh, and, and and my job as a leader is to actually identify what's their motivation. Um, and what I'm now seeing is the fact that I think now I can actually classify them well, right, into different uh, categories depending upon what kind of experience that they had, what kind of backgrounds they had. So let's say, for example, when I was working in India, most of my engineers came from product companies like Yahoo, Google, Amazons of the world. Mm-hmm. Their motivations are a lot, lot different than somebody who might uh, have come from a services background. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to start tailoring your approach mm-hmm. and identify some common points. So what would you tell somebody who is coming from a product company? That why this world is so different and complicated so we have to probably position this as a very complex problem mm-hmm. uh, because that will start building patience in them yeah okay so you can't so they would expect things like the fact that i think hey you just published a piece of code i should be able to deploy it sure no you cannot deploy it there would be somebody else who would be deploying the code on behalf of you mm-hmm. they don't get that complex they don't get that concept so we need to probably explain to them that why that's important sure right what's division of responsibility is yeah right it's not about the fact that i think hey we do not trust you but we need to show the same trust to our customers Mm -hmm. and we need to also showcase the same trust to our regulators um so uh, identifying those different motivations uh has something i think uh, you need to do a lot of trial and error Mm. So, and along the way, there are lots of failures, lots of successes, and you start catering your approach uh, towards so many different uh, people. Right. Well, we say now internally, in order to treat everyone the same, you have to treat everyone differently. And what we mean by that is, if you put together a blanket flexibility policy for your company, for example, it might on the surface seem amazing, and everyone from Excel is like, oh my God, you guys are doing a great job, but you might need to pick up a kid yeah. early in the morning drop them off at a different time so your flexibility might be i need flexibility at my start times your flexibility might be i need to be able to work from wherever i want whenever i want right correct so what you're saying here is everybody's why is different you need to explain the why differently and you need to understand that person on an individual level uh, yes so and and it does take a lot of energy probably from leaders but that's exactly our job is mm. yeah so our job is uh to ask um, questions but do not interfere with the answers so I completely believe in it, the fact that I think I would ask them questions. And in those questions, are those hidden whys? Yeah. Right? And let them answer. And 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 let them actually understand the process of the fact that I think, okay, right, why this is a little bit more complicated. And that's an art. And uh, that's why I would say the fact that I think uh, it has become more of like an art than science. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think as things are getting more complicated, this is going to be more, um, this is going to be a space which is going to evolve. 100%. So to shift the conversation slightly, and James, you know as well as I, that senior roles within data, especially senior roles within banks, they often don't come on the market, right? There's always somebody ready to jump up. Exactly, right? But you're someone who's managed to go from one place to another into a very senior position. It's, It's not something that we see a lot of. We do see it. But I had a conversation with someone at one of the banks today. They had three... Um, senior manager roles and they ordered three people earmarked for them right so how did you set yourself out from the crowd how did you stand out to nab to be like you know what we're going to bring someone in from external was it who you know what you know how you know like what tactics did you use uh that's a good question 
I didn't use any tactics per se, um, but I think um, maybe reflecting upon it, um, the background, um, the kind of problems that which I've actually solved, uh, the exposure which I had in three different geographies, mm -hmm. all of that constitute towards a very rich set of experience, which I can go and actually speak about. Mm -hmm. Hey, I have tried this and I have failed this. Mm -hmm failed at it. Uh, actually, I've been using that word a lot. I use failures a lot than successes. Mm. So I can tell the fact that, okay, right, when I was working for a large US financial services company, we ingested the data three times over from scratch. And in all three of them, we learned incrementally. Yeah. And that experience counts. Yeah, 100%. We can tell you the fact that I think what we did wrong the first time, what we did the wrong the second time, what we did wrong the third time as well. Yeah. But maybe that the third wrong wasn't that great enough for us to reconstitute that you're going to throw everything away and I'm going to restart. Yeah. Um, um, but now, that was back in 20, 2012, 13, 14. Technology has evolved. Exactly. Now, I don't need to probably do the same kind of like a mistakes because technology has already accommodated for those mistakes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that, so that, so that's, that's the, maybe I think explaining and reflecting upon experience. So I do maintain a two pager of learning mm -hmm. all the time. And I did put in, in my diary in every six months, I update that learnings. So that's something I think I can quickly look that's it up as a, like a flashcard. Mm -hmm. Right, and and not every time when you go out over there, you need to try to uh, succeed, note down your failures, and I've noted down a bunch of them. But what was the core learning? Yeah. Right, uh, because sometimes I think we go with a gut-based decision. It takes time, six months, 12 months, 18 months to pan out whether we were right, whether we were wrong. Yeah, 100%. I like what you're saying, because at the end of the day, it's easier to learn from your mistakes than it is to replicate success. That's correct. Because in that moment of success, you're just lost in it almost. Yeah. Yes. Everything's going well for you, right? So, James, to you. So, tenure versus what Bala's just said there. I'm not saying that you've bounced about, but you go to some hiring managers, they want to see eight, nine years, tenure, same place, other people, they yeah. love the two years here, two years there. Like, what are you seeing from the market as to which way it's leaning at the moment? I'm leaning more towards, like, the bouncing around. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm. I think it's the fact that, especially the last two years, it's been quite... Unique, so to speak, in everything that's happened. Um, although, you know, what from our surveys and from what we see on the market, like most people stay in a role on average around two years. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, someone's jumping around every two or three years, that's still pretty much on average. They're still saying, still kind of giving some good value. I think when you look at tenure, it's not necessarily a fact of, you know, oh, you weren't there for 10 years, it's not good. It's maybe looking at what they've achieved. Because I think you could have people who've been in a company for two years and they could have brought a lot of value and learnt on, had a lot of failures and learnt a lot from that. Mm. Versus someone who's maybe been in a company 12 years and they've been there 12 years, although maybe they actually haven't achieved too much. Maybe they haven't done too much. It's been more of a light keeping job. So I think it's not necessarily about how long you've been somewhere, but what you've actually done there and what you've learnt while you were there. <laughs> So you're saying I should leave Precision after 11 years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. So uh, let's, uh, I'm asking you a lot of questions that I didn't prep you on today, Bella. I apologise. Yeah. I did say we'd go off piste a little bit. Um, I want to take this question to looking at someone's CV, and I'm sure you've looked at 
you know, nearly as many CVs as me over the years, right? <laughs> um, and and that's something that you come up against a lot, James. Where they'll they'll people pick out a minute detail from a CV. Like, how much stock are you putting in? Like, how much do you read a CV of someone who's put in front of you nowadays? Like, how important is that to you? Um, it's important to get a perspective about the diversity of the experience that which a person has. Mm. Um, but can that be conveyed in a single page? I think that's more important, mm. right? The more lengthier it gets, it's very difficult to understand. Um, um, or it, it looks a little bit more, uh, the fact that I think, I think the, uh, the, the message might not a little bit more come a little bit more clearer through. Yeah. So it's important, but it's not the most, um, like a, like a key decision maker. Um, I do definitely look at the fact that I think LinkedIn, I do definitely look at yeah. like medium. So what you have maybe posted, sure, right? So, uh, how have you constructed yourself in a, in a, um, uh, are you somebody who consumes information? Sure. Or are you somebody also shares information, mm -hmm. right? All of this now has become part and parcel of who you are and your mm -hmm. persona. Um, okay. so I think all of these things are now probably going into the mixture. Yeah, there's a lot now. I mean, we use social media. I mean, you know about us, the way we use social media and yeah. branding and marketing. And if anything, anyone in whatever role you're doing right now, there's a percentage of your job that is marketing you. You're marketing your brand and what you're giving to the community and what you're taking. So that makes sense. I think one of the things that a lot of people maybe within data miss with the CV is, and it's the thing that comes up every time, is that telling the story with the data is more important than often the data. And I guess it's the same way with the CV. Just tell a story of you in a page yep. or two rather than just showing everything that you've got, right? It's Correct, right? I think I think the 10 points or the 10 diverse experience that you can probably highlight, that might be actually a killer. Yeah, I agree. All right, cool. So we've done the who you are generally. We've got a bit of an idea of who you are. We're going to go off piste again. We're going to do the best date joke. We're going to hit up Emily on the streets. It's my favorite moment. It's James' least favorite moment of the podcast. So we're going to give it a go. Um, James, we get you got to go first today, okay, on your best data joke. And Bala, I don't know whether you've got a story or a joke or something, but we're going to see how we go. Um, over to you, Mr. Ross. Um, let me find what the exact trick is because I know the punchline, but I don't want to get the setting up wrong. Some say the setup is more important than the punchline. Exactly. So if I get that wrong, then. No one has actually delivered. Uh, Good. Well, there's been a couple that have been all right. That you know, we've got a few laughs. There's been more groans, I would say. Uh -huh. Are you ready? Yeah. Cool. I filled for you there. Did you like that? How yeah, I, I did. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Cool. All right, let's do this. All right. So, the Italians they set up two telecommunications network networks. They call them Data One and Disa One. <laughs> okay, uh, nice. You got a laugh out of it. Yeah, That's right. pretty good, good. you know. Good. I think, was it a laugh. pity laugh or was it an actual laugh? That's it was the an question. okay laugh. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'll take that. Okay, cool. It's a good... All right, cool. All right. All right, here we go. Um, actually, I don't have like a really great joke. Um, it's hard to think of data jokes. There aren't many out there. Mm. You can concede defeat. To I'm Jay's. trying to think about uh, my mom. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So she would she she would have definitely cracked up some joke because she doesn't understand what I do. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine moments of of. Okay. Right. I think maybe I think 
not a joke per se, yeah. right? So the way I measure the fact that I think the importance that which you have probably from a company perspective, right, is a simple metric that clicks away from C CEO. Right. So, um, so typically the fact that I think when you're a little bit more junior, you might have about seven clicks to the CEO, mm -hmm. six, five, four, three, Right, and um, so I was telling my mom the fact that I think now uh, I'm about uh, three clicks away from the CEO. Mm -hmm. So my mom goes and tells everybody out over there that I am the number three person <laughs> in <laughs> a company. That's brilliant. Right, and somebody, I think it, it got the word got out. Good news is the fact that I think she lives in a small city in, in India. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm assuming that th those people don't talk to people up over here. <laughs> yeah. It's a good news that I'm, I'm a little bit more protected. So I think uh, when I when I went to visit her and, and somebody said that we heard that you are the third number three person <laughs> in this big company. I said, who told you so? I said, uh, your mom said. Right? <laughs> I said, I think that was a really good joke. I thought the fact that I think of how you somebody interprets the data. Right. Yeah. 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. Right? So, right. so my mom interpreted the data in that fashion. Maybe I never clarified to her yeah. what that means, that three clicks away. I didn't tell her the fact that I think maybe there are another 500 out over there <laughs> who are also three clicks away. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> I didn't give her the dimensionality of the problem. Uh, that's what mums are there for, right? Yes. To be proud and to tell everyone, you know, secret little... She do you know what? She probably knew exactly what you meant. Yeah. She wanted to tell everyone, you know, how proud she was of you at the end of the day, right? No, very positive the fact that I think this is how she interpreted it. Oh, right? really? She has no clue about <laughs> any org structures, or, or how things are, right? Uh, so she has been a homemaker all her life. Sure. So she, she has never been in a corporate structure, uh, but I'm pretty positive that this is how she understood That's <laughs> the data. But she, well, your mom sounds like a gem, so you know, at least she's <laughs> proud of you. That's important. Yeah. Good segue. When is knowing what is in the data not been enough? Like, What's the worst presentation that you've maybe ever delivered and you've gone, yes, I've nailed that. They get exactly what I mean. And maybe you come out of it and then two or three days later, they've done something you're like, oh, that is definitely not the message I was trying to get across. Have you ever had a moment like that? It happens all the time, right? <laughs> okay, um, so you have then, yeah, um, sure. Um, not in terms of like a presentation which I made, mm. but a very simple example which I'll give you is every company does employee service. Mm -hmm. And we try to measure employee engagement. And the way it's measured is the fact that I think we will ask you a bunch of subjective questions and we'll ask you to rate between one to 10. And a bunch of employees would have actually rated you. Now, if we figure out the fact that I think by giving a scoring, by giving weights, in some mathematically complicated way that we would say the fact that I think the engagement score is 55 mm. out of 100, which means that you don't have a satisfied employee workforce. Sure. Now, uh, that's a little bit more of like a gotcha moment. Yeah. But how do you really now take that piece of information and try to make some sense out of it? Yeah. So uh, that happens all the way, by the way, all the time in every list or everything, I think, which you typically get probably from senior management. Hey, do this action item or that, that action item. Um, so in my, in my experience, um, I'm trying to identify areas in which when I ask questions, 
I I'm trying to understand the fact that thing. Am I asking an ambiguous question or mm-hmm. am I asking a very precise question? And if it is an ambiguous question, how should I interpret that ambiguous question? So what I typically do is like I do silent meetings nowadays. Okay. So in a silent meeting, if I have a question, I would ask twenty of twenty uh, thirty who were like you know just call like a random bunch of people, right? I need to uh, bring them like as a focus group. and i'm going to use one of the tools like at the ment uh, mentimeter or siloed and i'm going to ask them questions okay nobody opens up their mouth because that creates bias that's swings the decision right i would have already thought through all the precise questions that i want mm-hmm. to ask and i will also let some open ended questions so that i can do a little bit more like a word cloud or something of that sort to really understand the interpretation right still not have nailed this but feel that that's probably where if somebody tells me an information which i'm not able to ascertain i'm going to call a bunch of 30 people and i'm going to do this exercise in a silent meeting and get a little bit more information so you go into the silent meeting because you've got something that you need to understand you ask the question you pose that to the group yes you stop talking nobody talks no one talks no one so talks so how do you get the information back So they all uh, log into their phone. Yeah. There's a survey code. Yeah. You put the survey code. Okay. And in real time, you start answering the questions, and everybody can see in real time the answers. The answers. So then, when you ask the next question, they've seen the answer to the other one. Yes. Okay. So what? But you... you get 30 people, ans talking at the same time. Otherwise, if it's a meeting, oh, only one person can talk. I one person can talk, and that can start swaying. Sure. That can start introducing the bias. Well, yeah, especially because. Yeah. in a meeting you have maybe 10 people who're going to be the talkers and 20 who yeah. wouldn't and then yeah, pick sides and interesting and so have you seen have you got an example where that's really worked for you or very simple uh, right now i think we are all a little bit more struggling with uh, answering a question return to work oh god yeah so return to work is a very difficult question now considering the last two years have fundamentally changed how we work yeah now the expectation is the fact that i think hey, we need to all come to work um now now when we ask that question in that particular fashion um uh people have lots of interpretation of that question mm. so senior management may think the fact that i think okay right, the reason why i think employees do not want to come to uh, work is uh because uh their productivity might be hampered sure or their flexibility might be a little bit more compromised Uh, sorry, this is how the employee is interpreting. Sure. The senior management doesn't believe the fact that I think hey, productivity is what they are a little bit more getting at. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you the fact that we have lots of data points that in the last two years we have seen productivity go sky high. Right. Everybody is working sixteen, uh, seventeen hours a day. Yeah. Right. They are not able to plug off. Probably productivity is not in question. Yeah. Right. There are different factors in question. but when you ask a question i think everybody is feeling the fact that i think hey management is trying to come to to make you come to work because we don't believe the fact that you're productive right so to ask that question in a silent meeting i would provide them answers on what do they really think about the management yeah so is that one or is that the second one or do you think the fact that i think the management is overall worried that hey do you have career growth Do you have enough people interactions? Right. Um, 
are different economies based on how we go to work. Like not all economies, all different parts of economies have evolved mm. for, to work from home. Are, are those impacted? So if I have list down six or seven options and ask them, point me out, they will tell me what's in their mind. Yeah, that's brilliant. Right? Even for that hot topic right now, I mean, I'm thinking we might do that precision, just what you've said. I think that's a really good idea. Right? Because, I can share my silo. Yeah, so we, that would be like great. About because, seven questions yeah. which I asked. Yeah, because it's, it's such a minefield now. Yeah. And the old questions aren't the questions we should be asking anymore because we know we can see the data about productivity. We can see what works for people, right? Yeah. But then we also see that everybody's different. So then you go, right, okay, well, let's implement this blanket thing for everyone. Yeah. It doesn't work for Dave and... Jen down the road, right? Exactly. Very interesting. I like it. It's a new way of doing things. Yep. And do you, the team feel safe? Do they feel like this is the the best comment that I've got is the fact that I think this is the most creative, sort of innovative way f- to get output from thirty people, right? In less than thirty minutes, right? So we have got everybody contributing mm. in less than thirty minutes. Otherwise, in a thirty-minute conversation. I know for a fact that I might hardly get one or two people who are the most vocal to yeah. speak. And the other voices are a little bit more suppressed. Brilliant. I love that. No, Let me snip that. 30 people who are essentially spending half an hour and actually all contributing. And yes. They're all actually feeling they're making good and, use of their time. And, and they can all see the results in real time. Hmm. Rather than being sat in a 30-minute meeting and going, why am I here? Exactly. Yeah, I love it. Good. That's a great thing we're going to take away from today's pod. Um, we're going to segue again. We're going to go external. Yep. We're going to go to Emily on the streets. And it's a special edition because Emily's in New Zealand. So there's going to be a lot of Kiwis on this. Nice. Um, Emily good. on the street. Today's question is, what is SQL? All right, okay. good. So usually we have five or six people who get asked, how many random Kiwis are going to know what SQL is? How out of five? Uh, two. You got two, okay, two, yeah. I'll say one. One, yeah, I think one as well. I'm going to go. One, one is also, a, it's a long stretch, but let's see. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I think one, and, and we don't accept half answers. Like, if someone says something to do with data, it's not enough. Okay, all right, right? good. You know, it's so, got to be like. Okay, it's a structured query language. Yeah, it, all right, well, go maybe on. not that far. Maybe like, a, you know, coding language or, you know, used to query. Oh, okay. You know, right. we'll give them a little go bit on. of le- okay. leeway. Okay, right. let's have a listen. Here we go. What is SQL? Silly quarantine locations. <laughs> Sequence, uh, quantitative, linguistics. Squarely music. SQL is a database for data analysts to go to and put the info in and work their magic. Okay, so we had four. Um, what do you reckon? Are we going to give the last one a point? Oh, yes. I think, I think so. we have yeah. to, don't we? One as to four. Okay. Yeah, one out of four is pretty good. <laughs> it's good? Yeah, the first three were nowhere near it, were they? Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Did like squirrely music, though. Yeah, squirrely <laughs> music is good. That is good. All right. Um, into some questions just generally about the data world more broadly now. So mm-hmm. the world's changing. The data world's changing. Everything's moving at a million miles an hour. What are you seeing right now that maybe not that it annoys you, but you, the buzzwords, the kind of the buzz topics that are getting in the way of real work shall we say like what are you getting kind of bugged by at the moment so um one thing is um automation now this is a very tough concept um so when a human interacts with a machine 
right? We can call it as like everybody, all of us, like now interact with a machine, right? Uh, if you are on a recruitment drive, right? You get some of the information from your machine and then you make a call. That's always a process, right? Around it. Um, then there is a machine which interacts with machine. Mm. Um, now, when you think about automation, automation are in, is in two, two spirits. When a human is interacting with a machine, that's a good case for automation, but for careful automation, right? I think we are thinking about now really out there concepts in terms of uh, AI, machine learning, um, really extracting the intelligence out of the process to mm -hmm. make it extremely simple for humans. Um, so a uh, lot, of, lot of interesting ways that how you can actually start automating that process. The second one is machine to machine automation. Now this is where um, you know it's a it's a classical case for people like me from from a platform perspective to know the fact that I think if it's a machine to machine interactions, which means that we have made it too complicated. Mm. It's a classic case for code optimization. Yeah. Um, uh, but more often, what's happening is the fact that I think we are not able to recognize these two different paradigms. We think we can automate everything without understanding what we are trying to automate is human touching a machine, machine touching a machine, then a machine touching a human. Now that's a very complicated yeah. process. So if you try to automate that, we think that automation, every automation is actually going to help us. Sure. Um, so we need to be a little bit more careful because there is a, a diminishing return. Absolutely. The more time that you're gonna be spending in automating is um, it costs money. Yeah. It's going to definitely cause a lot of structured time. Uh, if the project fails, uh, lots of uh, stakeholder communication. So a lot of effort goes into just probably simplify a process. And by that time, maybe I think the reality has changed. Mm -hmm. So if something has like, like uh, this pandemic has taught us that in one single shot on a single day, the fact that I think a world can come to a complete standstill. Yeah. So whatever we were doing, a little bit more in terms of, like, say, for example, installing some crazy machines in all of our offices, is just of no use, <laughs> no value. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's why I think I would say the fact that I think uh, that automation, that target should be the fact that I think, hey, can I take the simplest um, uh, piece of process? Can I automate it? Mm. And can I see really value? Which means it cannot be more than two weeks yeah, or four okay. weeks before you can see something or touch or feel it. That makes sense. So rather than right. trying to deal with the big problem, the broad thing, let's automate everything. Let's just take things in chunks, step by step, make sure we get it right. This is the digital journey, right? Yeah. Sometimes I think it's being positioned as a little bit more different. Like now you hear all these buzzwords, digital, 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 digital transformation. From late back in the 80s, we were all digital. Or yeah. the time when the computer was invented, we were digital. Right, it's just the fact that I think, okay, right now we want to talk about like some really um, uh, crazy use cases. Mm. That's all fine. Um, but the cost of developing those are are going to be also enormous. Yeah, that makes sense. I think this leads into a few different points that we yeah. see qu quite a lot in the industry generally. One of the things that you'll hear a lot about from candidates and people we speak to is, I've automated this, I've saved this amount of time. Yeah. Everyone's so focused on that, like I've saved this time, I've saved this time, but to what detriment or to what benefit? And that's the piece that people really struggle. Yeah, okay, you've automated that piece of the process, but what does it mean? 
And why did you do that? Or did you spend six months doing it because that's what you thought you were meant to be doing, right? And by taking it down to the simplest form, you can see the direct benefit, you can understand it, you're not trying to solve too big a problem at once, right? We all need to experience that automation. I think that's the most important thing that we need to experience that automation. Yeah. And if it is going to take an year, year and a half, I think you just said the fact that I think uh, people are bouncing around, maybe think two years, he's a tenure. Many of the people are not able to even experience what they really started, Yeah. the journey. 100%. It's interesting that you say that. You're probably the first person who's brought that to our attention. Like a lot of these podcasts are generally, everyone is talking about automation and how it's such a great thing. And it's almost the scaled down version of AI. And everyone's like, oh, well, you know, AI everyone's talking about, you know, and getting crazy about, let's just automate for now. And that'll be fine. But you're saying, well, even that in itself needs to be looked at in more detail as to how it's being done. Yeah, something tangible, something you can touch and you can feel and you can see it in your own career at yeah. least four to five. Uh, I'll probably take four or five in yeah. two years. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> but you can see. That makes sense. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, so to you first, James, then to you, Bala, like candidates who stand out at the moment, you know, obviously you've got a team of 300. For you, James, what are the, what are the types of candidates that are really standing out? And then we'll go to Bala in terms of, you know, what would make a candidate stand out for you? And then someone can take something away from that, maybe. So what, what are you looking for, first of all, James, as a recruiter? Um, well, I think, obviously, you always look, depending on the sorts of roles you're looking for, um, like certain technical skills. It's also very much on, like I said, the achievements, what they've learned, what they've actually added to the business that they're in, or like what they've taken away from a project. Like, what have they contributed? What have they been a part of? Um, whether that is like maybe they've automated a process or they've been part of building up a platform or they've been part of rolling out a governance sort of um, framework. And then from that, it's being able to identify what they've learned, being able to relay it, say, for example, to someone who's not technical, to someone who doesn't come from the same background um, and having, I guess, like a, a clear idea of what they want to do next. Like it's a very hot market. It's very candidate short, very job heavy. So, you know, it's great to think, oh, you know, I can jump up to a job where I'm going to learn more and get a massive pay rise. Although, you know, in a year's time, when things maybe aren't exactly the same, is that what you want to do? Is that going to be getting you on that next step to where you want to go? So I think a mix of like good technical skills, good communication skills, those softer skills are really important. But that ability to identify what they've done, what they've contributed, where they want to go even if it's like in one or two years, like mm. I think the last two years has shown us that you can't always have a five or 10 year plan because yeah. things change rapidly. But even saying, I know one day I want to be a solution architect. So how do I have to get there? What steps are going to take? If I hit that in two years, wonderful. If it takes me five years, so be it. Like knowing you've got something you want to work towards. That makes sense. And I mean, you can always then reevaluate it in two years. It might be a brand new role that you can then end up working towards. So just being conscious of that, I think, is a really important thing. And how does that resonate with you as a hiring manager? Oh, I think 100%, right? Um, clarity, mm. um, uh, thought diversity, ability to tell a story, yeah, ability to tell an experience, articulate that experience. Um, and, and it doesn't need to be the fact that I think, um, like, you need to be really ace at your some of your softer skills. Mm -hmm. You can use n number of uh, tools which are now available, right? Maybe you can probably uh, sketch something, or maybe you can show it like in a, as a funny story yeah, in, right. a, in, a, in a in a in a in a PowerPoint, right? Or you can actually show like a something which you have seen like as a common like a YouTube story, 
right? Just show that, yeah. right? Um, so something I think which makes you a little bit more stand out, but yeah. also helps us understand that you're clear, like to James's point, like to you, you're clear about where you want to go. Mm. You're able to articulate uh, a story, right? Right. You're able to connect to your audiences. I think that's exactly what we're a little bit more looking Clarity for. Clarity is a great word because. Let's be honest, everybody's busy now, right? Everybody, how are you? I'm busy. How are you? I'm busy. Right, fine. Everybody's busy. So you don't have long to grab someone's attention yeah, right correct. now. And I mean, even sat here in this podcast, 30 emails, 20 text messages, whatever. You know, your brain's always somewhere else. You need to be able to grab someone's attention. I like what you said. Not everyone has to be the best orator ever. Correct. You don't have to necessarily be the best storyteller at using your words. Okay, I can grab their attention with a good dashboard or a video or something yep. or a blog or whatever it is but stand out and i think a lot of candidates right now because let's be honest the power if we call it the power is in the candidate's hands yeah aren't as focused on that piece they're going well i'll just walk in there and they'll hire me no matter what right and what that leads to james what you've said is six months later th this is not the job that not i wanted, wanted. I, yeah, I just walked yep. into it because i thought it was right so clarity on who you are what you want and at the end of the day, everyone's going to make mistakes on their career. Fine. That we makes sense. That, right? But I like the word clarity. That's a good thing to take away. So look, we haven't got long left. So I'm going to just do two quick things with you before we um, have mm -hmm. to move on. Uh, firstly, book. And then we're going to talk to you about you as a leader and why people should work for you. But literature that you've been reading over the years, anything that you've read that you think would be really useful to people who listen to this that they might want to read? Culture Map is a book which comes to my mind. Okay. Um, um, again, I'm superly interested in people, mm. uh, different cultures, how would they react? Uh, how would they take your ideas? And if you need to start telling your stories to such a large audience, such a diverse audience, um, now we are all interconnected in the world. Um, so it, it's, it was a very, very interesting read. Uh, for me personally, brilliant. And um, so more people orientated than data orientated as such. Exactly right. Yeah. I think I think trying to find that common, um, uh, that commonality that which we have as human beings, mm -hmm. right? So let's say for example, you are a pet lover. I'm a pet lover. If 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 I know that, I think I can strike a conversation. Not only yeah. I can strike a conversation, I can make you uh, feel. Um, uh, Aligned to some of my thoughts, and and maybe we can probably do things together. Yeah, right. Um, but what drives people? Like in Australia, it's completely different than what is driven in the US, yeah. right, or in India. Um, so I think those things are a little bit more fascinating in that book. Brilliant. That's good suggestion, especially for people who want to maybe expand into yeah. leadership, expand into Correct. you know dealing with people more. All right. So final thing to that we'll talk about today, unless you want to add anything at the end, of course, is just. You as a leader, we always try and ask, why Why should people work for you? Why should people want to work in your team? Just in case anyone was interested in getting in touch. Yeah, okay. Uh, so me personally, um, you would love to, uh, I, I love to find and challenge in every aspect of the work which I do. So for, for me, like example, um, if somebody comes to me uh, with a problem, the fact that I think, okay, right, hey, why do I need to do timesheets, mm -hmm. right? I find an interesting challenge out over there, the fact that I think, hey, why do you need to do timesheets and what can we do about it? Yeah. 
Um, uh, so I just love the fact that I think every small thing which we, uh, which which I experience on a day to day basis, I see an interesting challenge out over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have about nine patents, so uh, I can I can tell you some aspects about the fact that I think what's important, how how important is it for you to fail. Mm. Um, so, uh, and last but not the least, I think I can um, uh, help uh, you uh, understand that what you really are passionate about. Yeah. Right. I have worked with so many individuals. The fact that I think to come to a dis- discussion or a decision that hey, this may not be the right career opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's also it's a very um, good to know that uh, what are your, as I said, right, clarity. Yeah. Right to provide that clarity back yeah, sure. into that individual. So they're gonna know where they stand. So where, where uh, so to, to summarize, um, it, to push the boundaries of their thinking. Yeah. Second is the fact that I think clarity where they currently are standing, where they want to go, where they're going to see the forks in the life, right? And the uh, uh, third thing is. Um, uh, doing doing really cool things with data. Uh, when I say cool things with the data, as mundane as a Excel spreadsheet is, or like actually as a Word document it is, but it has got lots of inter- interesting facets. Yeah. So when I read a resume, I'm like just seeing lots of interesting things that what you have actually explained. Can we take those bits and bytes of the information and can we derive some really cool interesting insights out of it Brilliant. right so i think those three things great well look, i mean there might be some people listening today who might be interested in that so thank you <laughs> might get some people your way um well look that's it for me anything else you'd like to add bella uh nothing right uh this was a really great opportunity uh to have like a nice conversation about right. data about life about career thank you so much for inviting and me nothing too serious i really enjoyed it james anything to add from you mate no i'm all good i appreciate you coming on bala it's been great having yeah you on. brilliant you, james. and thank we'll you see all. everyone next week all right thank, thank you, you. Thank